you can be seated. Another great day in the house of God. And we're so excited that you're here and we're excited that you are watching online, a part of our online community. I believe that God is going to do good things in our life today. Is anybody grateful for God in your life and the things that He does? And so, so cool. So cool. Uh, just a couple of things before we get in. Uh, baptism next Sunday. Don't miss it. And, uh, and, and, and be early for church. Don't be, don't be late next week. 10.30 service. Let's start at 10.30. And uh, I'm probably going to put the baptisms in the service instead of at the end of the service. And so uh, make sure that you be a part of that as people will go through the waters of baptism together. And then tonight, our 5 o'clock youth and uh, college service is on. Uh, we want to invite you to that. We've been doing a, a series called Bell and Tell. And so we've been eating some Taco Bell, some of Mexico's best. So uh, somebody tells me, uh, well, no one's ever told me that. I don't think anybody's ever said that. And, uh, and then we've been doing interviews. And so a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Pastor Russell and talked about his life. And tonight we're interviewing my bride. We celebrated our wedding anniversary this past week. Woo -woo. And... So we'll be talking to Anna and, uh, and just talking about some of the challenges that she's had in her life, her testimony. And so if you're in high school or college, come along and join us at 5 p.m. We're going to have a good time. I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 5 as we begin this two-week series. And uh, this is what it says. It says, in the spring of the year. Uh, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. David, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Everyone say bath. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elahim, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. Everyone say bed. And the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Everyone say beyond. That's our series, bath, bed, and beyond. We're going to start today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword able to get into areas of our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. That's our desire today, to leave better going out than when we came in, to go out stronger than when we came in. And God, we just pray that you'd work with me. Give me a prophetic edge this morning on this message and give people with ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them personally and collectively in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Uh, I don't know if you had these moments where you've either seen somebody do something stupid and you think to yourself, what were they thinking? Or you've done something stupid yourself and you thought, what was I thinking? Anybody have one of those moments? I, I, I was reflecting back to high school 
and I was talking to Anna about it and reflected back to high school, some of the classes that we did. And, and, and when I went to high school, they offered a, a touch typing class that you could learn how to type without looking at the keyboard, just touch typing. And, and I remember thinking to myself, what a stupid skill. When would we ever need to know how to type things? How many of you know that was a bad mistake? What was I thinking? I was obviously thinking that they weren't going to invent the computer back there. I don't know. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, I, I think there's a sense of that with the writer, like a little bit about what was David thinking. It says here, in the spring of the year, uh, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. So, so David has sent Joab, sent an army, sent the men of Israel. They've gone out and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So, so the way this is written, the sort of sentiment behind how this is written is the men went out to war, David stayed home, but David shouldn't have stayed home. David should have been out at war. And so the way it's written is the men have gone out to war. David stayed home. What was David thinking? And this is a good question. What was David thinking? Well, maybe David thought there was no good reason for him to be at war at this particular time. His army, uh, led by Joab, and had destroyed the Armenians the, the previous year. In fact, his army had experienced a, a lot of successive victories, one after the other. They have won many battles. His army were mighty in battle. But yesterday's victory does not necessarily guarantee you a victory today. Having previous victories, and I should reflect out about yesterday's wins, but yesterday's win does not guarantee you a win today. That's why they've played over 52, they played 52 Super Bowls, and over only seven teams have ever won back-to-back -back Super Bowls. Because winning the Super Bowl this year doesn't guarantee you that your team is going to be able to back it up next year. You can be on a winning streak, seemingly feel like you are undefeatable and think that you can win and yet still be not guaranteed a victory. Uh, one of my sports I like to watch, because um, I think it's biblical, is boxing. Now, most of you will say, well, how is boxing biblical? Well, the Bible says lay hands on them and see if they recover. You know someone's going to grab that one snippet and do a whole blog on the man is unbiblical. But back in uh, 1990, uh, there was a fight between Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. And up to that point, Mike Tyson was seemingly undefeatable. 37 and 0, uh, no losses, 33 fights by victory. And if any of you saw his early career, when he first started fighting, I thought it was all rigged because he was just knocking people out so easily. Well, Buster Douglas in this fight was an underdog. Mike Tyson looked seemingly invincible. In fact, in the eighth round, 
Mike Tyson hit Buster Douglas with an uppercut and knocked him to the ground and Douglas was down for the nine count. I remember the hit. I remember him going down. I remember watching it thinking this guy is out and, he's, and, and on, the, on the nine, Douglas sort of managed to get up. But even at that point, you would think that the next round Tyson's going to come out and destroy him. But at the 10th round, to everybody's surprise, Douglas came in, out and, came in and knocked out the man who seemed invincible. Why? Because yesterday's victory doesn't give you a guarantee of a victory today. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so there's a battle between your flesh and the spirit. Yesterday's victories in the spirit don't guarantee you a victory today over the flesh. The Bible says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I would suggest to you that today is a day and every day that you need to crucify your flesh because just because you had a victory over it yesterday doesn't mean that you're going to have a victory over it today. We are in a daily war of the flesh. And the flesh is always warring in us against the desire of the spirit. We have a battle raging inside of us. And so yesterday's victory does not promise a win today. So the spirit wants you to get up early in the morning and pray. And the flesh says, no, today is the day that you should sleep in. You need a little bit of rest. You had a hard day yesterday. Uh, the Spirit today says, I want you to go and read the Word and study the Scripture. And the flesh says, no, you went to church this morning. You had some Word you don't need anymore. The, the, the Spirit says to you, I want you to forgive that offense. I want you to let go of that upset that you had. I, I want you to lay aside the offense, how that person hurt you. But the flesh says they hurt you. You should hurt them. The flesh says they hurt you. They, they, they don't deserve to be forgiven. There's a battle raging inside of us. Maybe David thought to be absent this time was no big deal. What, what, does, it, what does it matter? I have won plenty of wars. After all, I am David the Goliath slayer, and I can probably afford to sit this one out. But, but it's a moment, a mistake, should I say, to misread the moment. A, a lack of spiritual activity or a lack of spiritual pressure, a, a, a calm in the moment is not an indicator that you're not in a battle. Just because right now everything may seem to be going good doesn't mean that you're not in a battle. I grew up in Townsville, North Queensland. Uh, we have cyclones, you have hurricanes here in America, pretty much the same thing, they just go the opposite direction. And so when I was growing up, we were in Cyclone Althea. It happened on Christmas Eve, and, and this cyclone hit Townsville, North Queensland, where I grew up. And I remember as a, as a like, a, just a young boy, I remember the wind gusts coming, the sound of the wind, the cyclone alarms going off. I remember seeing trees go flying. It was very terrifying. And then there came a lull. The storm stopped. I wanted to go outside and check it all out. I was a young, inquisitive young man. Let's just go out. The storm is over. And I remember my mom and dad saying, no, the storm is not over right now. This is just the eye of the cyclone. It's passing over. 
cyclone still happening, but right now you're in the middle of the storm and there was a blue sky and it was calm and everything was perfect, but it was just passing over. The, the, the cyclone was going to hit you with another bout of intensity. And sometimes that's life. You're in a battle. It goes calm. You think, man, I'm on the other side of all of this right now. But it may be just the eye of the fight. It's easy to think for a moment that everything is okay, that everything is fine. And then you misjudge the situation. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, at certain seasons, our corruptions break forth with extreme violence. And if for a while they appear to have formed a truth, truce with us or to have lost their power, we suddenly find them in full vigor, fierce and terrible. In other words, you can be in a battle and you know that the enemy's attacking or there's a battle of your flesh, but then all of a sudden everything is good and you're other side, on the other side of it and you think, man, I'm at a truce with the devil or I'm at a, a truce with my flesh. I'm in, I, I'm in a good space and you can misunderstand moments of your vulnerability. I can assure you in this moment, David did not think he was vulnerable. David did not understand he was putting himself in a position of danger. In the most vulnerable moments, you can make mistakes that you never thought you would make. I think one of the classic vulnerable mistakes in the Bible is Peter. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what was Peter's response? No way, not going to happen. She's like, yeah, man, it's going to happen. Peter's like, there's no way. There's not a snowflake's chance in Hades that that's going to happen. I'm the man. They try to take you. They try to touch you. I'm going to grab a knife out. I'll aim for the head. Maybe I'll hit the ear because I'm a bad shot, but I'm going to aim for the head. Anybody comes near you, I'm going to take them out. He didn't understand what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. In this moment, totally honest to Jesus. There's nothing lacking integrity in what he is saying, only the fact that he didn't really understand what was going to happen. Next thing you know, Jesus is taken by soldiers. He's being whipped. He's being scourged. He's being beaten. Terror enters the disciples. And next thing you know, Peter hears, the crow the cock crows and he's denied Jesus three times. And he never thought that would happen. Never in his wildest dreams. But what happened was the situation changed and he became incredibly vulnerable. You've got to be able to read the moment. Sometimes you're going to have great victories. You think you're doing good. You think, man, I'm a spiritual giant. I'm invincible. Nothing can touch me. And then the situation changes. And all of a sudden, even though that you were honest and integrous with all those thoughts, your life becomes vulnerable. Maybe, maybe David thought this, I, I'm, I'm tired and I need to rest. I'm the king. We've been in war a lot. I've, I've been knocking down giants. Our armies have been having victories. Maybe I, I should take a rest. But when you're at war, you should be at war. The scripture is not saying that this is a time for David to take a rest. And he was chilling. Verse 2 says it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. He didn't understand this was not a moment to be resting. So the, everyone's out at war, he's taking time off and it's the afternoon and he's sipping 
on a latte, lying on his couch, having someone feed him grapes because he's the king. And he's like, that's enough grapes. And he decides to go for a walk, and now he's up on the roof of his house, and it's the cool of the afternoon, and he's just enjoying the view of his kingdom and probably thinking to himself, man, I am awesome. I am the king. Look at my kingdom. And he's just wandering along, and next thing he sees a woman in a bath, and he thinks, hubba, hubba, ding, ding. Look at the legs on that little thing. He just starts to get, he just gets distracted. Why? Because he's let his guard down. He is in a position of rest. Now, now it's not wrong to have rest, but you've got to discern the moment to have rest. Look at the difference between the two rests. Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Now, when King David lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now. I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So here is a God-given rest. He's been at battle, but God gives him a calm, and he discerns this is the right moment for me to have a rest. A rest is good. God worked, and then God rested. Uh, you, you can't exhaust yourself in life. You've got to be able to take moments where you can chill, wait on the Lord, you know, have time with your family, a position of rest. This is a God-given rest. And when God gave him rest from his enemies, when God gave him rest in the moment, what did he see? When he was resting in a God-given rest, what did he see? He still saw, man, I'm living in this wonderful kingdom. I, I, I've got this beautiful, but God's, it, 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 the, the Ark of the Covenant is, is in a tent. It's not in a great space. So in a God-given rest, he saw God things. What is he doing with his own self-induced rest? He's seeing something, but it's not God's kingdom. He's seeing his own kingdom, and he wants a little bit more. He wants something that's not his. So a rest is fine, but we need to have God-given rest. What was David thinking? The, the, the truth is we don't really know what David was thinking, but we can guess what he wasn't thinking. He probably wasn't thinking, well, you know, if I stay at home and don't go to war, I'll probably go up and have a wander on my roof and I'm going to check out to see what hot chicks I can find. And I'm going to look out to the west and maybe I'll see somebody. He didn't think, well, I'm going to see a woman in a bath and I'm going to take notice of her and I'm going to think she's really attractive and I'm going to invite her up to my place and she's going to come and I'm going to sleep with her. I'm going to take her to bed and I'm going to send her back to him. And I, I bet she's going to get you know, pregnant and have a baby. And so now I've got to cover up my sin. And so I'm going to go and get her husband. And I'm going to conspire to have him killed, have him killed. Now I'm going to be an adulterer and a murderer. And I'm going to make my life worse. I can guarantee he didn't think I'm going to take a rest from battle and make my life worse. He wasn't thinking that, but he placed himself in a place of vulnerability. And you and I, we can make mistakes. We can get ourselves trapped in difficult situations and, and know from the outside, that was not my intention. I did not mean to do that. I didn't intend to go there. But I went there and now I've got myself in a place of difficulty. We don't start out that way. Sin doesn't start out that way. Sin is always a process. Sin is a process that engages an action and always ends with a consequence. Sin is a process that engages an action and always ends with a consequence. 
Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messages and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she'd been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now, before we go any further, I just want to address this. David didn't fall into sin. You'll hear people say, oh, somebody fell into adultery or they fell into sin. None of us fall into sin. David didn't fall into sin. He walked into sin. David didn't fall. He wasn't like there was David up on the rooftop and just wandering and happened to notice a woman in a bath and was like, wow, she's really beautiful. And then he tripped <laughs> and he fell off the roof of the house and he ricocheted off another balcony and hit somebody on the head and fell down onto the street and landed on a camel and the camel carried him 50 ways. And then the camel kicked him off and he just launched and then he, boom, he just ended up in bed with Bathsheba. <laughs> David in fall into immorality. He walked, he took a step and every step that he took brought him closer to sin. Sin begins in a process, engages with an action and ends with a consequence. In this instance, the process begins with not being where he should be and looking at something that he shouldn't be looking at and looking at something that wasn't his. It was a process. Should have been at war, wasn't at war. He was walking on the roof. He saw a woman and then he stops and looks long enough to notice she was beautiful. It probably would have been an issue if he ricocheted his eyes, walked out, well, whoa, I don't want to see that. But he's not at war. He's walking on the roof. He's a position of arrest. He looks at a woman in the bath and then he takes long enough to go, wow, she's a very, very beautiful woman. Then he says, you know what? I want to know a little bit about her. And so he sends people to go and inquire and get information. So now people are doing his bidding. They're going out and finding out who she is, where she's from, what her Instagram account number is. He's inquiring. He's trying to check this out. They come back. They say, the woman's married. He doesn't care. She's so beautiful. I don't, I don't care. Go and invite her. See, every one of these things is a step towards sin. Every one of these is a moving towards an end result. He in fall, he walked. She comes to his house, invites her to her bed. That, that, that's how, and, and even that whole thing was put together. He, he invites her to his house and then he, he sets the scene. He, he gets it ready. Turns the lights down, maybe lights up a candle or two. Puts a little bit of Barry White in the background playing softly. He turns the volume up just a little bit more. Looks at her in the eyes. Breaks out some poultry that will eventually end up in the Song of Solomon. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. You are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind the veil. 
Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. Not one of them has lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil, and your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone, and on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two, okay, we'll stop the Song of Solomon right there. It gets, goes beyond the, R, the G rating for a Sunday service. The process leads to an action. Every one of those was a step, and it leads to an action. It engages in his bed, and the end result beyond that moment was that she got pregnant as a consequence. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There's always a consequence for sin. And the, the, the goal of all sin is to destroy you. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a moment. Temptation is tempting. Temp you're only going to be tempted on something that you like. And it's going to want you to do something that you want to do because you think it's pleasurable. But even though there's pleasure in sin for a moment, the wages of sin is death. The, the whole goal of sin is to kill, to steal, and to destroy your life. But it's seductive. Sin begins in a process, engages with an action, and ends with a consequence. That process is what we call temptation. James writes about it in James chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. He says this, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's the bath. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. That's the bed. And when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's what happens beyond. But it all begins in the bath. Temptation begins in the bath process. That's where it's at. It all begins in the bath. That's where temptation began. He looked at a woman taking a bath. And that's what you have to understand. Temptation, firstly, is before anything else, it's tempting. She was beautiful. There, there were, there, it was luring his eyes. This was something that he wanted. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2 says, He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So we are tempted when we're lured, when we're enticed by our own desire. These are things in us. Lured and enticed, James says, by our own desire. The lure for him was that he saw a woman bathing. He was enticed when he saw that she was very beautiful. If she wasn't attractive, he would have been like, oh, but she was very beautiful. He was lured, sees a woman in a bath, lured, enticed. She's very beautiful. And then all of a sudden, desire comes into him, his own desire, I want her. Whether she's mine or not, I want her. These are the most common elements of everyone's temptation. The Bible says we are tempted when we are lured, we are enticed, and we have desire. 
Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was a, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband. So original sin was birthed in these elements. She was lured. She saw that it was good for food. She was enticed. It was a delight to her eyes. So she's lured. I, 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 I like what I see. This is, this is good. This is, this is awesome. This is fantastic. It's good for food. Then she's enticed. That, 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 that is a delight to my eyes. I love what I'm seeing. And she desired. It says it was desirable to make her what? Make her wise. It's those processes. Understanding the seductive steps of temptation will set you up for a win over sin. Sin is the end result of temptation, but you can beat it in the temptation phase. And let me just say to you, temptation is not sin. It was not a sin for David to see a woman. It was temptation. It was not a sin to notice that she was beautiful. That was temptation. And what he should have done was expose his temptation immediately, walked away from it and says, you know what? I'm being, I'm being lured. I'm being enticed by my desire. So I'm turning my back and I'm walking the other way. Eve could have been lured and enticed and even desired to make her wise and said, but I'm not going to eat of this tree. And she wouldn't have sinned. But the end result when you let that thing play out is that you eventually end up in sin. James wrote this. He said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. He himself tempts no one. Who does God tempt? No one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Each one is tempted. The Bible says this, it says that no temptation has overtaken you uh, except that which is common to man. So you don't have to be a bad person to be tempted. You can be the most holy person in here, and you probably are. You look holy. If we could see in the spirit, there'd be a little halo over your head. You can be the most, but, but there's no temptation that has come upon you except that which is common to man. That's why we see Jesus, who was God, became man. The Word became flesh. In that flesh, Jesus was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. So temptation is not sin. Temptation is common to man. We all have that in common. Every one of us is going to be tempted. We're not all going to be tempted in the same way. Maybe you're tempted, maybe you realize it's sinful to eat kale. You know that it's ungodly to ever eat kale. You know. And, and maybe that's where you get lured and enticed. Maybe you're there in the supermarket, walking through the supermarket, and you see kale, and you're lured. You're lured by the kale. And you know it's a sin to eat kale, but you're lured, so you put it in your shopping basket, and you're walking around the shop, and you think to yourself, I should put that back on the shelf. I shouldn't take this kale home. It's wrong. I should put it back on the shelf. But next thing you're at the checkout, and they go to scan it, and you're enticed. Yeah, I want the kale. You take it home, and you just put the kale in the refrigerator. 
Every time you open the refrigerator, you can hear the cows screaming out, eat me. Come on, eat some kale. Next thing you're just sinning on your own kale desire. But I've got to be honest with you. I am never going to be tempted by kale. <laughs> it's never going to happen. It's not going to even make it in the shopping basket. Each man is tempted. We're all tempted differently, but we're all tempted. That's why Jesus prayed, Father, lead us not into... I, I, I don't want to do... Th- God, give me the wisdom to keep me away from the things that tempt me. Give me the strength to recognize temptation when it's in the luring phase. Each man is tempted when he is lured. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, Blesses a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So it's the, it's the first step in the process is being lured, the counsel of the wicked. Come on, that would be good for you. Look how fantastic that is. You, you, you deserve that. Look how pretty that person is. Look how amazing that thing is. The lure is there to get you to chase it. I, I, I'm not a fisherman. I don't like fishing simply because I'm horrible. I may be the world's worst fisherman. Maybe not, but I'm, I'd be up there in the top 10, world's worst. I, I went fishing with some friends in Arkansas, and they took us to a pond that they filled with fish so you could fish in the pond. Like this is a guarantee the fish are trapped. They can't swim anywhere else. It's a pond. They load them in to the pond so people can get in a boat and fish and catch fish in the pond loaded for fishing. We fished for an hour. You know how many fish I caught? Nothing. Not one fish. All those fish were just swimming down laughing. Ha ha! There's the world's most worst fisherman. But we had lures. And we're flicking it out and dragging it in. The little lure was there. The little lure was there. And, and maybe, maybe it was my impatience. Maybe because I was going, and trying to beat everyone else's lure into the boat. Because I'm competitive. But the idea is to put the lure out there and to make it, and the fish see it and they chase the lure. That's what sin does. It begins with a lure. It just throws something out there. Maybe it's a thought. Go for a walk on the roof. Maybe it's a thought. Check out over there. Maybe it's a thought. Oh, look, what's, there's a woman taking a bath. Maybe it's a thought. Oh, it won't hurt you just to have a little look. Maybe it's a thought. There's no one else around. Take a longer look. Maybe it's a thought. Oh, wow, she's really beautiful. Maybe it's it's just a lure. What is it? It's dragging you into a situation. This is how all sin begins. It's a lure. You don't take the lure. And I want to ask you, what what rooftops are you walking on right now uh, that you should be avoiding? What are the rooftops that you're walking on that put you on a platform where you could be lured? Because not every platform has a lure. What, what, What people are you hanging out with? What rooftops are you walking on? What situations are you putting yourself in? What rooftops are you walking on? What television shows are you watching? What movies have you been watching? What websites have you been visiting? What's on your social media platform? Who are you following? What bar are you going to? What nightclub have you been sneaking off to? What person have you been texting that you shouldn't be texting? What rooftops have you been walking on? 
If he wasn't on the rooftop, he would never have seen the bath. But we're lured. We're lured and we're enticed. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Psalm 1 verse 1 goes on and says, nor stands in the way of the sinners. You're lured. You're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Then you're enticed. You stand in the pathway of the sinner. So you're lured. Wow, that looks really good. Now you know that you should turn away right now, but then you stand. When you stand in the pathway of the sinner, this is how this conversation goes. Well, I shouldn't. I really shouldn't because I'm the king. I'm re I really shouldn't because I'm already married and have a stack of concubines. I really shouldn't go any further. But it looks really good. And now it's a little harder to move because you've lost your momentum. That's, that's why Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, flee youthful lusts. He said, there, there's going to be there. they are going to have that. But he said, what you want to do is when you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly, woo, there's a woman in a bath. Rather than stopping and checking it out to see what she's like, you flee. And so you're walking. And while you're walking, you've got some momentum. And then you just, whoa, I shouldn't be seeing that. You flee youthful lusts. That's when you, when you feel that luring and you get that enticing instead of stopping and entertaining it. And this is how it usually goes. I shouldn't because I'm a. I shouldn't because I'm a Christian. I shouldn't because I'm married. I shouldn't because I'm a. But now you're in this enticing mode where there's a battle in your flesh. And the Bible says you're not probably going to win that battle. You're just going to put it into B for boogie and you've got to get out of there. He's going to run, flee, youthful lust. Every person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When you are enticed, you are lured by your own desire. Blessed is he, he says, who stands on the pathway of the sinner or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We've got to exchange our desire and desire the things of God over the things of the flesh. You're going to switch your desires. And if you spend all your time standing on rooftops fighting the flesh, then you're again eventually going to succumb to the things of the flesh. What you need to do is say, I'm not going to get on the rooftop and I'm going to exchange my desires rather than having the desires of the flesh that my desires are going to be in the law of the Lord. The Bible says that the Word of God, when you hide it in your heart, will protect you from sin. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. If you're going to be a successful Christian, if you're going to overcome temptation, if you're going to have a godly walk with God, your Word cannot only be listening to a message on Sunday. You've got to develop a healthy Christian diet. I would even suggest to you that coming together on Sunday is a powerful thing. We come together in one spirit. We come in unity. This is good. We get under the covering of the Word of God. But this is not discipleship. Discipleship happens in a small group. If you're not in a small group, if you're not in a life group, if you're not in an accountability structure in our church, you need to go onto the app. You need to find out where the life groups are at. You need to look one for one that will work for you and get in an accountability group where you've got a group of people and a smaller network of people that you can be accountable to and talk about the things that are tempting you right now. 
And then you get into the Word of God, you get discipled. But then even out of that, being in a church group is not good enough. You've got to be in your own group. You've got to get with you and God. You've got to learn how to pray. You've got to learn how to worship. You've got to learn how to read your Bible on your own. And I would encourage you that that Bible reading is not going online and seeing how many sermons you can listen to from other preachers. I'm talking about going into the Word of God and reading the Word of God, letting you read the Word of God and letting the Word of God read you. In your law, I meditate both day and night. I'm getting your Word. I'm hiding it in my heart so I may not sin against you. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Paul, uh, Peter wrote this. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I've heard this preached, that the devil has no power. He's like a roaring lion, but he can't hurt you. Anybody ever heard that preached? That is not what Peter's writing here. Peter's not writing, hey, you can chill. The devil's roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but he doesn't have any, he can't get you. No, he is roaming around what? like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Somebody said the devil doesn't have any teeth. He's just, he's got gummy. Again, I don't think the scripture is saying your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeing if he can gum you to death. No, he's trying to kill you. The enemy only comes for one purpose, seek, kill, and destroy. He wants to take you out. And so he's roaming around. What is he doing? He's waiting for that moment for you to be at home when you should be at war. He's waiting for that moment for you to be walking on the roof of your house and just happen to glance over and get your focus on a bathtub. A woman in a bath. The devil's waiting for that moment. And then he's out. Ah! He's trying to try it. You want her. You need her. Take her now. The devil is roaming like a roaring lion. Why? Seeking who he may devour. So you're going to be vigilant. You gotta realize there's a battle, spiritual battle, flesh battle. Spend your time in the Word of God, resisting temptation. And the Bible says the devil will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee. But he's got the patience to wait for the right moment, for the unexpected, to get you off guard. I wanna encourage you never ever be off guard. The devil's just waiting for you to think that you got it all together. You don't need anybody's help. You're the man. You're the woman. I got this thing together. Some years ago, I was in Singapore, and uh, I like to play squash. It's like racquetball, except different. But uh, not completely different, but just different. And I was pretty good at squash. And I was uh, in Singapore with a youth ministry preaching there at a youth thing. And so they, they played squash. And so I challenged the youth pastor, hey, man, why don't you and I play some squash? And, and so uh, that's what we did. And I destroyed his soul, just crushed his spirit. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> and then the whole, there was a whole group of young people and leaders down there, and, and uh, I was winning. I was having victory after victory. It was a great day. It was a great day to be alive. I was enjoying Singapore. It was my favorite city in the world. Obviously, no one there knows how to play squash. And, uh, and I saw this young kid just milling around 
and he was just picking rackets up and putting them down and bringing people water and he was just messing around. He's probably about 16 or something like that and he just looked pretty. And so I said, hey, do you, do you, do you play squash? And he said, oh, yeah, I played a couple of games. And I'm like, well, come on, man. Why don't, why don't, I, I know she hasn't been playing. Well, did you run a bit late or something? Because he, he came in after everybody else. Probably arrived half an hour, 45 minutes later after everybody else. And so I said, do you want to you play some squash? And he's like, oh, okay. And so he picks up the racket and we go down in the squash court. And I said, because I'm being nice, 16-year-old kid. I'm a nice guy. I said, come on, young fella, you can serve. You serve. And so he gets the ball and he hits that sucker. And that ball, I swear, had flames launching off the side. It was like right in the corners, like this most accurate, spectacular shot that you've ever seen in your life. One zero to him. And so you keep the serve, and he just and two zero, and three zero. And he destroyed me like nine zero, nine zero, nine zero, nine. And we were playing, it was like a court that wasn't air conditioned, it was outside in Singapore. I'm sweating. I'm and I'm like, I'm gonna get a win here. He's like, you want to rest? No. And I'm, and at the end, I'm like, and he just, I didn't win a game. Not one game. He destroyed me like 10 games to nothing. Then I get off the court and the youth pastor said, how did you go with that young guy? I said, I don't know where he came from, but he is unbelievably good. And then he goes, yeah, he's the Singapore junior champion. This is what he said. You were beating us all so badly. I called him. <laughs> and I said to him, hey, just wander around and pretend that you don't know what you're doing. I said, but hang in the area of Pastor John. He's probably most likely going to ask you to play a game. And then just pretend you don't know what you're doing. And this is when you get on the court, just release your best. Just release your best. He was there just roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's what the enemy does. He'll just plant something in there, someone in there, a situation in there. That's one, it looks totally, and you're so confident that you've got this. Next thing, you're being destroyed. Nine zero, nine zero, nine zero, nine zero. The enemy roams around like a roaring lion, seeking. He has only got one purpose for you, is to seek, to kill, and destroy. But you can have the upper hand if you understand how it plays out. No temptation has come upon you except which is common to man, which means that the enemy can't invent something and throw it at you that's not been thrown at somebody else. He can't outpower you, but he can outsmart you. He can't outmanipulate you with some weird ah, thing that he's never invented, but he can and will try to outwit you. But you can have the victory if you realize that it all begins in the bath and don't get in. Come on, let's give Jesus Christ a great round of applause for the Word of God today. Russell, you can come up. You can have victory. You can have victory. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to overcome sin, the right response to it when you don't get victory. I'm going to talk a little bit about how to, to overcome the, the consequences of that that happen. You can have victory. God has not designed you to lose. These things are not put in the Word of God to make us feel bad about ourselves. They're to empower us for a life of victory. They're to empower us for a life of strength. 
God doesn't put these things in to condemn us or to bring us down. He, he, he brings them into the Word so we can understand, so we don't sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is. But Jesus came to give us and life more abundantly. So Jesus says, listen, the enemy only comes. He wants to steal. He wants you to kill. And he wants to destroy. That's his consequence. When you yield to the flesh, he wants to steal. He wants to rob from you. He wants to rob your joy. He wants to rob your laughter. He wants to rob your fun. He wants to rob your life. He wants to steal from you. He wants to make you depressed. He wants to make you miserable. He wants to make you feel guilty. He only has one purpose, steal, kill. He wants you to have the consequences of sin and then destroy. He wants those consequences to go beyond you and to go into your children and your children's children. The consequences of David's action was more than just him doing a bad thing. We'll talk about that next week. But there was a series of consequences that went way out of David's life. Why? Because the enemy only comes for one purpose, steal your joy, steal your confidence, steal your faith, steal your love for God, steal you attending church, steal you out of the community of believers, steal you out of your marriage, steal you out of relationships. He wants to take from you, to steal, kill, to punish you, to let those consequences weigh on you and to destroy your life. But Jesus said, I've come to give you what? Life and life more abundantly. That's what Jesus has promised us, life and life more abundantly. That's why He teaches us how to overcome so we can experience His life. Abundant life happens when we walk righteously with God. I want to pray for you. Maybe today you're like, whoa, I'm on the other side of that. I've, 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 made, I've made horrible mistakes. Guilt shouldn't be your portion. Guilt is a result of doing wrong things. The enemy comes in and he focuses on the guilt and tries to make it even worse. And he'll tell you all sorts of things about yourself. Like you'll never overcome. You'll never be different. You'll always be the same. There's no way out of this. This is what your father was like, what your mother was like. This is what this person was like. This is just going to be your lot. And he, the devil tries to get you to, to own that in a way that you stick with it. But God's like, no, I don't want you to do that. When you feel that guilt, I want you to repent. The Bible says repent and be converted. I want you to change. I want you to realize I'm not in the right spot. I need to turn my back on where I'm at. So you come to God and you say, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I messed it up. I need your blood to cleanse me again. I need your blood to wash me again. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to be strengthened in my spirit so I can overcome in the temptation phase. I wonder who I'm talking to right now. Because I don't think it's God's plan that you leave feeling guilty. You should leave feeling empowered. You should leave today thinking, okay, if it's a consequence... I haven't stopped the consequence before, but I can get a fresh start today. And then tomorrow I can do it better. We're on a journey together. We're on a journey together. And we're going to do it well together. I want to pray for you. Can you close your eyes right across this place? Holy Spirit, just minister to us, we pray. Just come, God. Let your grace and let your mercy and let your love and let your peace overshadow us. Lord, you're helping us to become better.
You're helping us to, to do better, to live better, to live whole. And so Holy Spirit, I pray, number one, against condemnation. Conviction for repentance is fine, but God, we don't want people to be condemned. Conviction in the way that people can realize I've been doing my own thing, my own way. I've been ignoring God. I've been ignoring God's ways. I'm making mistake after mistake after mistake. I'm doing it wrong. I'm reaping consequences of decisions that I made that were bad decisions. And I want to turn my back on those things. I want to, I want to go a new way. I want to go a healthy way. So convict us of our sin today, God, so we can repent. Reveal to us areas where we've been allowing ourselves to be tempted. Open our eyes, put light on that today so we can identify it next time it happens. But God, we want to leave here whole today. We want to leave here fresh. We want to leave here excited. We want to leave here full of life that Jesus came to die for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And a fresh step, a fresh beginning begins with a prayer. That's what I want to do right now with every eye closed and every head bowed. Just thinking about you. Just forget everybody else. Forget their sin. Forget their life. Forget what they've done. Just think about you. If you're here today and you go, John, that's me. I need a fresh start. I need a fresh start in my life and my relationship with God. I've been doing wrong. I've been heading in the wrong direction. But today, I want to respond to go, God, I, 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 I want to get off that rooftop. I want to get out of that situation. I want to reverse the curse that I've built in my life. I, I need a fresh start in my life and relationship with you. Please forgive me for all my sin and give me a fresh start today. We're going to pray that prayer right now. If that's you and you say, John, that's me. I want to know there's people here to pray with today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. You can put it up really high and you're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it to God saying, that's me. It's a, it's a faith step. A little bit like earlier where we anointed people with oil as a faith movement, as a faith action. This hand up is just a faith action to God. Say, God, that's me. I'm praying. I'm taking the first, first step in moving towards a victorious life. That's your prayer today. If that's you, ready to lift your hand. One, two, three. Just raise your hand if you say, that's me. I need a fresh start today. God bless you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else like that? Just lift it really high. Say, that's me. I need a fresh start today in my life and relationship with Him. God bless you. I can see your hand. Is there anybody else like that? Just lift it up real high. I see it. You can put it down. Last time I'm asking. Last time I'm asking. Let's pray this prayer. If you raised your hand or really wished you would have. Make this prayer your prayer today. Pray it out loud. Pray it strong. Pray it in faith. But church, let's all pray it together. Say this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I'm asking you for a fresh start in my life and relationship with you. Please forgive me for all my sin, for all my past. And today, make all things new. Draw me close to you. Make yourself real to me. Accept me today just as I am. But don't leave me the way I am. Change me from the inside out. I want to walk with You. I want to move with You. I want to live with You. And so today, I'm taking that first step right here, right now, in Jesus' Name. Amen. 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 Why don't you stand to your feet? Give Jesus a great round of applause right now. Come on, wherever you're at.